All right, guys. Hey, welcome to uh, the show tonight. I am your macabre pinstress, the host of the mostest, uh, hanging out here with the OG, the original Nick, and Pope, the dope, no bro, Pope. And we are discussing one of my favorite movies tonight, like of all time, definitely in my like top 15 or 20 for sure. And we know I have a lot of favorites, but it's really up there. Um, and that is Stigmata. It came out in 1999, so it's an older movie. Uh, has uh, Patricia Arquette and some actually kind of some big names now, though they weren't really back then. But we've got like Nia Long and Portia de Rossi, and then of course the wonderful and super dreamy Gabriel Byrne. Um, so I'm gonna kind of just take you guys through a quick synopsis of the movie, and then we will kind of go into uh, what you guys thought of it. Uh, it starts out with this girl, Frankie Page. She is this super adorable hairdresser. Uh, I think they're in New York. Philadelphia. Pretty sure. Um, is it Philadelphia? Uh, so Pittsburgh. They're in no, they're Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh. Philadelphia. Pittsburgh. They're, Are they in, they're Pittsburgh? in Pittsburgh? Is it Pittsburgh? Yeah, that's where it is. Okay, so they're in uh, Pittsburgh. And uh, she gets sent a rosary from her mother from across the planet. And she starts having these sort of like weird... Uh, you know, sort of hallucinations, I guess, is how they're first perceived. Um, just sort of kind of an odd feeling and weird dreams. And then it goes into this girl starts receiving uh, the first of the five stations of the stigmata, um, which if you guys don't know what it is, it's a religious experience usually reserved or believed to only be experienced by the extremely devout and pious and holy members of humanity throughout history. Um so including members like St. Francis of Assisi, Francis of Assisi uh, and um, I think there was somebody else in the 90s. I remember reading about somebody getting the stigmata sometime that was pretty famous, but I would have to go look that up to fact check that. Um, so, but it's a, an extremely uh, sort of like a blessing. I think it's kind of the shittiest blessing that Christianity could like bestow upon somebody. Like here, have the stations of Jesus dying and the cross, the crucifixion. And, like just feel that for a minute that's that that that's for you um so and then we have sort of as is apt to do the catholic church in rome like hmm, let's check this out and see what's going on so uh what did you first think pope like about the movie you said you hadn't seen it before which i was really surprised about because it's right up your alley there's a lot of stuff right up my alley that i just miss because i don't watch a whole lot of movies um the um but uh stigmata is interesting um the uh it's hard to explain because like i i, I kind of told you on chat earlier beth but um i kind of like have noticed a lot of trends and kind of movies when it comes to religious especially catholic subject matter and what it is is you always have a demonic problem and you got a good guy priest and then the good guy priest goes in and he's a good guy and so he goes in and solves the demonic problem and whatever happens happens from there right so that's kind of the thing Stigmata had every appearance of fitting that until it didn't. And so I really actually have to say that I appreciate it. And the reason is because you he is a good guy. The priest is a good guy. He is a good guy priest. But the possession was actually another priest. It wasn't a demon. And um, and so he was actually kind of fighting against the church, you know? And actually the best part for me though was at the very end they had a title sequence and it said hey guys the gospels of saint thomas they exist they were they were um declared non-canonical and her uh heretical by the church which and they were um i looked a little bit more into it after watching the movie and they were gnostic text um so probably council of nicaea stuff like that probably uh, made them heretical but that i mean the thing is is like the vatican is not somebody that you take on so it actually took nuts to make this movie. And uh, I really appreciated that. As far as the religious aspects of it, I learned something new that I did not know from the movie. And I appreciated a dedication to accuracy that they had. For example, when she first got the first uh, station of the Sigmata, it went through her wrists, not through her hands. That's scientifically accurate. And then the movie actually commented on it because she was standing in front of a crucifix. And obviously on a crucifix is going through his hands. And he was like, science has proven that that's impossible. And so she got it on the wrist because it was the real deal. There were other people in the movie that got stigmata and they got it on their hands because they weren't 
they were either not really the real deal or they were um, not as maybe chosen as she was. And then um, the second thing that I really appreciated about it was that uh, it, uh, it was just, oh, I didn't know that actually that um, the Spear of Destiny counted as stigmata. Uh, the one that the soldier stabbed Jesus in the side of in his side with, I did not know that. I thought the stigmata or the thorns. I thought it only counted as where the nails went through him. So, um, a lot of research went into it. A lot of care went into it, and they actually had a message that wasn't anti-church and it wasn't anti-Catholic, and it wasn't hateful, but it was you can't always trust these authorities because a lot of times they're looking out for themselves. And um, I sincerely appreciate that. You do not see that very often. Um, so I have to, I have to give it up for the people who made the movie um, for that reason. Sure. I would absolutely agree. I think that it was really tastefully done. And like for, you know, 1999, I was like 12. So like when 13 year old me first saw this movie, like it was incredibly, profound for me you know just because of the fact that I grew up in a very religious household and so for me like it really struck a chord in how like I started to define sort of my own spirituality um as far as like what the end message is you know with the movie and stuff like that Nick what did you think about it because I had this you're the reason why I suggested it actually after the conversation we had the other day because it is a different take on um, Jesus Christ and Catholicism and sort of what we see normally portrayed. And I thought you would have a really unique opinion on it. I think uh, I, the, the biggest thing I love about the movie is it did teach me something that I had never heard after this, never taught to me. Um, like I didn't know that stigmata was a real thing. Um, I didn't, you know, I had really, yeah. um, I, the first time I saw it portrayed was actually in evil, the show that's on Paramount plus, uh, or it's actually, ABC or something? I don't remember who does it, but um, Evil, there was uh, an episode where a girl, I didn't realize that either, like, sorry, that's a sidetrack, but there was a woman who had uh, the holes in her wrists and feet and also had the Spear of Destiny, and I thought that was interesting, because I was like, I didn't know that was a thing, and then they didn't really play into it uh, and really look into it. Um but this movie was all about that. And I also didn't realize I was reading into it after most of the time it happens to be women. And I don't know what that says about the stigmata act or no, I don't want to say act. I don't know how experience. experience. Yeah. I don't know why that is. I didn't look into that much further because it was right after the movie. And I was like hmm, formulating other opinions. Um, <clears throat> and I think it, we had a conversation in um, in the chat where uh, the more I look into Catholicism, the more I look into religious teachings and religious texts, the more I realize that the church has gone around and has really cut a lot of stuff out of canon. If they, if they don't like it, they say it's heresy. If they don't like it, they just kind of cut it out. And um, you're just meant to not look at it. So I think it's interesting bringing to light something that is physically... Like there's pictures of the of the the text, like it's an actual thing that you can look up and read yourself, and I I like that a lot. Um, the church is someone that I definitely wouldn't want to go against. Like Devin said, that would be a, a task. <laughs> Not all of us can be Martin Luther, my man. Not all of us can be Martin Luther. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, so. I think it was also tasteful as much as I am starting to get away from the structure of the church. I, I, I do not want to bash any certain denomination. I think that's going to do more harm than it is going to do good. So I, I like the movie for that as well. It was very tasteful. <clears throat> so yeah, I, I thought it came great timing with, um, I'd rather be portrayed more as a theologian rather than a straight up Catholic or I was raised Baptist and I definitely don't want to be uh, labeled as a Baptist or a Southern Baptist. That's a no thank you from me. <laughs> so. Hey, the music and the food is good though in the Southern Baptist church. It's got its purse. I mean, <laughs> I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Yeah, I went to mom was cooking. A, a while back 
Bro, I went to freaking my Southern Baptist family. I went to a funeral for my uncle. May he uh, rest well. And um, man, dude, I tell you what, they had a whole outlay after that funeral and they just did it right. Like it was actually really cool because funerals are supposed to be sad and his funeral was sad. But that wake with all the with all the fucking food and stuff, man, we were we were having an amazing time like. It's just like you just cannot be depressed when you're eating food that good. I mean, you'll probably be the next one having a funeral because it's all fattening and full of cholesterol. But fuck it. It's okay. You only live once. <laughs> I'm just saying like it. And eventually you'll be able to call me and we'll get it taken care of. It doesn't right. matter. I, I said it before. I'll say it again. Beth is my personal mortician. So um, when I get, when I get laid to rest, <laughs> Beth is going to be the one overseeing it. So hold on. So do you want me to hit you with the Pope hammer? like they do for the pope to make sure he's dead do you want me to do that for you when you die Shit, yeah just to make sure Shit, yeah you better warn my parents though they're gonna be a little they're gonna be a little freaked out by it but yeah shit yeah do that i need it in writing that's all i need and we're good all right so um i really the movie's a, a, an excellent movie like um and it's really classic 90s like you've got air blow up furniture and you've got these incredible awesome like jelly platform shoes that the character wears through like half the movie and you've got like the butterfly clips with the crazy updo hair like and it was really inspirational to me for like the fashion of it i wanted to be frankie like as a little girl like in a religious household like i wanted to be special like that you know and like whether it's stigmata or not i really wanted to be able to wear the butterfly clips and the cool jelly shoes that my parents wouldn't let me have the jacket like so it was just a whole fashion it's all the blue jacket that the crazy lady in the street with the hallucinatory baby uh, is wearing, that, that raincoat, too, yeah. was oh everything. They had good fashion in that, in that movie. So Jason... Jason makes fun of me because I am quintessential 90s girl. Like, I love everything about the 90s. I love that whole era. It's just ingrained in my, like, core development of who I am as a person. And so, like, this movie really highlights that for me. Um, and there's one of the things, like I said, I wish I had watched the DVD version and not been lazy and just watched the Roku channel version. Because, like, there was some behind-the-scenes stuff that they brought up um, as far as, like, technical things in the movie one was the sort of like i mentioned earlier the way they filmed the movie through different color lenses so like if you notice the scenes where frankie is having particularly holy experiences right before the that happens they use this like blue light filter and then they go to like the bright white light like as she's kind of experiencing whatever the holy thing is and so like a lot of the practical effects that they used to really like emphasize these um, experiences we've talked about it before like i love movies that actually use practical effect and that they take advantage of what they have around them and i thought that that was a really good way to portray like uh the the sort of suffering to like the holy experience and stuff like that um one of the other things that I found really fascinating, because uh, going along with being sort of into the macabre and morose, goes, also goes into like the macabre and morose parts of religion. And, um, you know, the blood of Christ, the body of Christ, we talk about it a lot in pagan circles as being very much a ritual of witchcraft, you know, communion in and of itself and stuff like that. Um, and in the beginning, we have the opening scene at the priest, the excommunicated priest, Alameda's uh, funeral, and we've got the statue of Mary uh, crying blood. And uh, it's Gabriel Byrne's character's uh, sort of job to go around and disprove miracles, much like that show Evil, right? Like that's kind of his job as a scientist priest. Um, and I... I'm always really intrigued by miracles like that, like where people are actually gathered in community and belief in something, regardless of what it's about, but especially in the Christian religion um, and in Catholicism even more so, like how these icons of like, you know, Mother Mary in a slice of toast or Jesus in a Cheeto or like these crying of blood things, like what's the difference, you know, in between them and, and like why, what the motivations are to like have people to to see miracles whether it's perceived miracle like you know the the vision in the toast or actual statues crying blood um i think personally that we as humans are sort of drawn into community and community is often easily found when we have something to believe in collectively um which is kind of my belief that's the whole point of humans in the first place is for us to collect and connect and and get to know one another and empathize with one another um but 
I think like when we see true miracles like that for a lot of people, especially those who are very devout, it's really uh, hard for them to, to, to turn away from that. Um, even if it's not necessarily real, you know, if it's manufactured, which happens to be the case a lot. Uh, what do you guys think about miracles? Like, is that something you believe in? Is it something you think is possible? Or do you think they're mostly just bullshit? So a miracle is, by definition, a violation of the uh, scientific laws of the universe. So for something... Absolutely. Like, for, mostly they violate physics. They violate by everything. So I agree. So in order for it to be classified as a miracle, it has to violate those things. I personally feel of two minds. The first one is that I do not believe that those laws have ever been broken in any real way. Um, and I do not believe in miracles. But what I will say is this. I am one person who has lived my life and I have never seen anything that I would classify as a miracle, although I have seen some very extraordinary things that are amazing. And I think that it's a little bit hard to categorically reject miracles, actually for the same reason that the priests in the movie found God, which is just life in general existing in the first place is a breaking of a law in a way scientists and labs forever have been trying to mix the correct chemicals in order to randomly produce life and they've been unable to do it and um so there's that aspect of it that it's i'm not sure that i can categorically dismiss them even though i don't believe in them at this point um but then the second thing is that everybody's perception is different and if you look up in the sky and you see Christ floating there in the sky, I'm not sure that I can tell you that Christ wasn't there. Like, I'm not sure that it's my place to tell you that Christ wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like, now, some of the, sometimes these perceptions are used for bad, like serial killers and stuff that say they hear God talking to them and stuff like that. That's, But, like, most people who report miracles, it's harmless. They saw like there's that group of people who saw the they saw like the sun explode you guys hear about that it was like it was a whole town who together saw the sun explode and they obviously didn't the sun didn't explode but at the same time like i am not so sure that i can sit here in my safe room in my safe place and say nah man there's no fucking way that's impossible. I just, I can't. And, and well, so like, I, there's a whole faction of society that believe the sun that we see is a hologram. Like there's a lot more to that whole right. thing. Like I just, yeah, I know that's not exactly your point, but like, I, I see where you're going with that. Cause it's like, how do you explain to somebody what that, what they know is fact to themselves? Is it, but that's the other thing is there is no reality other than individual perception. And so who the fuck is to say that somebody who saw the sun explode didn't in their, I guess, their form of reality? They saw a vision. Could we call it craziness? Yes. Could we call it insanity? Yes. Could we call it any number of things and explain it away like that? Yes. But the thing about the thing about saying something's impossible is that there's no such thing as truly impossible. If there is a 0 0.0000000, one chance that they saw something that was inspired or it was delivered by somewhere different, who the hell am I to say? You know? And so that's why I don't point and laugh at people like that. Even as everybody knows, Devin's, a, you know, Pope's an atheist. Pope doesn't believe in this stuff. You never really see me like kicking on people who believe that stuff and see that stuff because like I you know it if Jesus this is the last thing I'll say and I'll let Nick do it if Jesus <laughs> seriously showed up right now and stood next to me right now I'm kind of checking cuz it's possible 0.0000% but it's possible if Jesus stood right here right now and he said hey my son why you been talking shit all these years? You know what would happen? Ten seconds later, I'm a Christian. It's that simple. Because that would be my perception. 
You know what I mean? And that it would be my perception that I met Jesus and I met my Savior and I met my Lord and I would be a Christian right after. And so I just, I don't believe in miracles, but that's because of my perception. And I can't tell another person what their perception is, if it's right or wrong. And I cannot categorically dis- dis- dismiss miracles um, because of that reason. So hmm. it's kind of a non-answer, honestly, for the fact that I spent five minutes talking about it. Um, anyway, Nick, <laughs> tell me about tell me about your thoughts. Are you a believer in miracles? Miracles, miracles. Um, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. I've seen so I, so I was raised. Uh, in a Baptist church where miracles absolutely are 100% fact. But then I went to a non-denominational Christian high school for one year. I couldn't afford to go public or private school for all of it. But we had a Bible class, and we watched a whole documentary on it. And I, I don't know, because a lot of these are very... Um, <clears throat> attention grabby or hoaxy or absolutely outlandish to where it there's a good line in evil where he says every time i defend the church this guy someone like this guy shows up where uh, this guy is like acting like he's physically fighting a demon when he's exercising a house and i was like that's pretty that's how i feel sometimes because we have like so the uh the miracles that were there were um this guy's Bible fills up with manna every single day. Manna, I think, is like a type of bread. Um, and there's an Old Testament in uh, an Old Testament verse where these these birds were bringing whoever it was some manna every single day. He's like, if uh, I take care of the birds, why wouldn't I take care of you? Um, and so this guy's Bible would fill up magically with manna every day. But there was no recording before or after. You know, we, there wasn't a camera on it the whole time. There have been people who, um, who like, cry gold and, and cry gems um, as a kind of miracle. And I, I physically, I don't know how that's possible. I have never been able to produce gold from my body. I think I'd be a lot richer and doing a lot more cool stuff if I could cry gems. Um, I'd be... Uh, Imagine making being ethical at the very jewelry. least very painful. <laughs> you know, you watch, yeah. you watch, you watch Pay It Forward, and it's just like it's like it hurts. You know what I mean? You're in the hospital. You know, like you're you can. But the good news is you can pay your medical bill at that point, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, I'd be like, hold on, billing department. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, old Yeller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Jesus. I think the the point. The point where I don't know if miracles truly exist is, or at least not in the way that we think, is because people have used them for their own gain so many times. And that's what pisses me off as someone who is still a Christian, but like not fully in line with the church. They'd probably call me a heretic right now, but you know. At least an apostate. Um, I don't know. I, I, yeah, it'd be goofy. It'd be goofy if someone tried to talk to me about it. But, um, but like the the televangelists who have someone wheel up in a wheelchair and they do their whole, you know what I'm saying? They do that thing. <laughs> if you're on the audio version, I'm sorry, you missed out on a really funny hand thing. I did. They'll they'll shake violently and be like, "In the name of Jesus, I tell you to rise." And then the person starts rising up and i'm like okay so now you're just preying on these probably slightly less intelligent people um to get their money or to get like a place to stay for the night or something far more dark that i that happens um with authority figures and i don't know i don't know maybe if miracles just kind of stopped after the new testament after you know the original apostles were hanging around because I don't know. We can't really verify any of that. And I mean, the, the Catholic Church does try and verify it. You have to launch a full on investigation, and the Pope has to come down and, like, the Pope has to come and, like, hang out of wherever it is and investigate it. As much as, you know, people hate the Catholic Church, that is probably my favorite thing about them is that 
if you claim something, someone has to come and investigate it, um, and at least to their standards. So I don't know how much you want to take that, but that is something interesting. Like I think they even talk about it in the movie. Like yes, um, yeah. They see he, they see a crying statue, and they send a priest out to go and investigate. And after the initial report, he's like, okay, we're going to get some more people to go and check it out. So, and evil, of course, I'm just like shouting out evil, you know, give us some money. <laughs> Love that show. But yeah, that's like their whole thing is a, a, a Muslim who is a skeptic who doesn't really believe in anything, but he was raised Muslim. And we got uh, an atheist and a priest go around investigating all these crazy things because the church just wants, you know, needs some stuff investigated. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I've never seen a miracle. I've never seen a fake miracle or a real one. Um, I mean, that could change tomorrow. You never know. I mean, people have told me, you know, uh, I had a teacher one time tell me he broke down on the side of the interstate and these two guys helped him push his car. And then the second he turned around, they're gone. I believe those are angels. And I was like, that's a pretty cool story. I can't verify it. That sounds pretty interesting to me. Um, I have people telling me that they had, you know, they know someone who had stage four cancer. The next day they wake up and it's miraculously gone. Um, I can't verify that. And I guess I'm, I guess I'm trying to say basically the same thing Pope said, but maybe not quite as eloquently. <laughs> no, I think you were both pretty eloquent. You guys both made really good points. Um, I think... You know what I think? I don't think that miracles are big. Yeah. I think miracles are little things. I think miracles are losing your keys and missing a car accident on the highway because you're 10 minutes late. I think miracles are sitting on the hood of a cop car and praying to God that you get out of the cold after three hours while your ex-husband is getting arrested and you're just like, I really want to go fucking home because you're seven months pregnant. Not that that's a lived experience. That's very targeted. Good Lord. Oddly specific. Um, I've had miracles in my life. I think that faith can move mountains. I don't know if it's necessarily got to be faith in Jesus. I think that if... If what you have faith in is Jesus or Allah or Lilith or Paimon or anybody but King James, basically. Right. Uh, oh, there it is. Let me bite off your shit right there. <laughs> um, you know, I think if you have faith in something, you can manifest miracles that cater to your life, right? Like that are what you need when you need them. Being on time and not necessarily being on your time, but the universe's time, I think that we don't appreciate collectively how miraculous it is that we get to have that advantage that things always seem to work out the way you need them to, if you have faith that they will. And like, that's just my own lived experience. I have seen things absolutely that would only be described as magic or miracle, like, and not big miracles like statues crying the blood of Christ or, or anything like that, but things that we can't explain other than they happened because I needed them to. Right. Like, and those to me are just as much miraculous as anything else, you know, and whether you want to call that like the secret and the, the four corners and the power of manifestation and, and speaking things into existence or faith in belief that there is some greater source out there that gives enough of a fuck about you and cares about you enough to like, listen when you need that extra little push to help, like however you define that, I think is acceptable. Um, you know, they talk about like in the Bhaktivad Gita, uh, which is another religious text that God will come to you however you need to find God so that you can approach God and get what you need from love. Cause that's how I pray. Like to me, it's like the Bible told me God is love. And so if God is love, then why do I pray to God if I can pray to love? Right. Like that's how I always looked at it. And as I got older, like from a little kid, it was like, why would I pray to Jesus when Jesus is like the middleman if I should just go to God and God is love. So just Love is prayer, right? Loving, being a loving creation, person, existence. Uh, for me, that was being godly, like in the best way I knew how. And it's really just kind of how I define what took me to where I am spiritually, but also like in how I believe in these great existential miracles or happenings, um, stigmata or, or whatever have you. Like they are there because you believed them believe that they could be there you know i don't you don't hear a whole lot of stories of people experiencing things they didn't give credence to 
mm-hmm. in some way, right? Like the possessed, you don't have Catholic demons going and possessing people in little African villages. Like those are really considered perceived as African spirits, right? Like it, it's, for example, you know, like you don't, aren't attacked by things that don't already acknowledge existence or, or possibility of existence too. Um, and one of the things like, I think that this movie touched on, we've been talking a lot kind of lately uh, in episodes and in chat about whether or not ghosts and possess people. Right. So was she actually possessed by Alameda? If he was just dead and a ghost, it does being an excommunicated priest automatically give him like a one time hall pass to go back and try to possess somebody mm-hmm. and get his message across one last time. Like, what do you think about that? Okay. So I actually do have thoughts on this because there's an interpretation of demons that I find very interesting. And what that is, is that demons are basically human spirits who die. So the modern interpretation of demons is that they're Satan's legions in hell, right? But going back in history, that wasn't always the case. And that's a relatively modern thing. And so there is one interpretation, and that is that uh, it's, humans who died who were just so um they were uh you actually see a lot of it in uh like the writings of Blavatsky and stuff like that um the idea that some people when they die they have what for whatever reason they have enough will to survive death right so in this guy's case his will would be anger he was pissed off and so in the beginning you think he's pissed off because his crucifix got stolen which doesn't help things but he was pissed off because he was investigating mass corruption within the church and he was so angry that he survived death in that case i think it could be argued that he would be an interpretation of a demon and able to do possessions right and um but the way it's really interesting how they presented it because he was never presented as a bad person He was actually presented as an incredibly pious person who fought for the proper church, not for the bureaucracy. Right. So he had righteous anger. And um, but I do also think that there's a dual side to this, which is in that righteous anger. He victimized a completely innocent young woman. Right. And that to me, that willingness to victimize somebody who had nothing to do with it and did nothing wrong is uh, demonical. It's absolutely demonical if you consider the popular perception of demons, which I talk all the time about how that's, you know, already a pretty big misconception. But it's interesting that you bring that up because there's alternate endings that they explored kind of that idea in as well. Really? What, what happened? Um, so they in alternate endings. Well, in the alternate endings, she actually got the fifth station of the stigmata with the spear into her side and they killed her. And in both of the two alternate endings, like they ended up with Frankie dying in the end, which didn't really happen in the the pretty but well-known movie. Like most people don't see that version of it. And so I think it's really interesting because that would be truly evil, right? This innocent girl who's absolutely atheist or at the very least agnostic, right? And she becomes um, entangled, we'll say, if not possessed by this spirit and this guy who's supposed to be an incredibly devout and pious person to the true church of Jesus and the idea that Jesus is not made in the church, but in all things or that love and and godliness is found everywhere um, that he's a proponent for killing this innocent woman. Like, and that brings a whole new twist to what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause he, there would be, I think that his actions as a spirit, are completely unjustifiable. However, I will say that in the ending I saw, which she survived, um, the text of the Gospel of St. Thomas was revealed, and uh, it was found. And so it could be considered a mean to it, means to an end. But at the same fucking time, why not go possess a corrupt priest? You know what I mean? Why, why, why victimize this poor girl? She, guys... So if you go watch the movie, she goes nuts, essentially. She kind of loses it because she's randomly just hanging out and then getting the thorns on her head and fucking getting lashed almost half to death like Jesus did on a subway train by invisible forces. That would drive anybody fucking insane. And so she's (laughs) getting sick and she's getting 
weary and you know she's on the verge of death she's bleeding out every other day because new holes are being punched in her body like that i'm sorry that's just fucking unjustifiable like um so it's it is interesting the duality of how they present that guy because his the the overall intention was honorable but just the execution was just completely fucked and then and then the other thing is uh before they reveal that it's this ex-priest you think it's a demon because it's yeah. it's talking in the voices and it's saying you know is this your modern religion blood of christ blood of christ tries to seduce the priest you know what i mean like how's your faith these days father yeah right. no absolutely and like they really did go full on like demonic possession there. they did and it's because that's exactly what a demon would do i will say this the moment she tried to seduce the priest i turned to tatiana she was watching it with me i turned to tatiana and i said possession because she would respect the fact that he was like that you know what i mean yeah no after uh, she would respect the fact that he took his vows of celibacy they were friends you know what i mean now towards the end it's really implied that they kind of had a romantic thing going on but that was after a lot of shit happened but earlier she respected his vows and um he did too which is actually something the fact that he stuck by his vows is something that i actually really respected about the movie too because uh, the temptation had to have been there when writing the script to not have that happen. And I just, I thought it was great. Absolutely. Um, I did. That's actually. Um, Go ahead, Beth. I, I do want to bring up a point about that after you're done. Because I, I think that there's something to be said about some of the ways that they filmed some of those more like controversial topics in the movie. Uh, I actually wanted to um, go back and touch on the subject of miracles real quick. A personal thing from my life. Um, but before that, we should probably finish out this topic. So what do you got? Um, well, so I just wanted to kind of talk about the fact that like, uh, for being like a, a late nineties film, you know, right. As we've talked about in other horror movies, as things got really gory, like, and we started seeing a lot of, um, a lot more sex in movies and a lot more gory death. They were really, again, classy with how they portrayed all of these intense, life experiences right so like at the beginning of the movie when she's having sex with the guy and then she thinks she's pregnant and they do the little like short two-week montage worth of time you know at the very beginning like it was very classy you don't see a whole lot of bump and grind there's not a lot of skin showing and the skin that they did show was done well like the scene work was done really well and then at the end when the uh, cardinal or not the cardinal the, the the guy from the vatican um like comes and he's trying to kill her it was very subdued in a way like he was strangling her but they didn't make it this like huge fucking like thing where like it had the, even like the mil music didn't really build up to that being the the iconic scene it comes a few minutes later after the her friend priest gabriel saves her right and then the fire comes out of the fireplace and that's when the the climax really starts to happen it's not at the part where she's about to get killed you know they saved the the climactic things to be the poignant things and they did it in a way that wasn't gory it wasn't grotesque even for all the blood that there was they didn't use an excess of blood all over everything like um i think that they used a really artistic eye just and all the way around and still tried to keep it in a way that made it suitable like i could watch this with the kids and i don't have to worry do i need to pause and send them to go get something from the other room real quick or like you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean like it was still suitable and acceptable um and i think that uh it, it really played into like how we perceive what's happening to frankie and and stuff like that throughout the whole movie that um they didn't play up uh the ugly parts of it so much as the religious parts and the parts that are really supposed to make you feel these profound things yeah. Yeah, um, I have one thing to say on this, and it's something that uh, Pope mentioned, and that is um, she's completely innocent, right? But that's something you've talked about on a previous episode. I don't remember if it was already way back at the first one, The Ring, or if it was another one we were talking about. Maybe um, might have been The Grudge. We were talking about how American horror really likes to punish the innocent. Something about being completely dissected from the situation um, uh, is when someone gets killed, like in Hereditary, the husband, the dad. Why? Why did he die? He should just be a nice guy. 
He's just being a great guy. Which was another yeah. I was about to say. I was about to say. I know. I know. I have I was like, I knew a her. big old yen for him. I think he's <laughs> so dreamy. Yeah, I was like, I know where I've seen him from. Oh yeah, hereditary. But um, yeah, and um, even in the ring, um, Samara was completely innocent, but she started attacking the little boy, and he's completely innocent. Um, there's 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 so, a yeah. distinction in this movie though that makes it actually worse than those. And the mm. distinction is that the person doing the attacking was a religious authority, a priest. Yeah. Right? So mm. if there's anybody in the world... Now, I know we don't live in a perfect world, and I know there's a lot of fucked up, corrupt people out there, but let's put that to the side for the moment. Ideally, if there's anybody that's going to bring in an innocent and attack them and hurt them and cause them pain, the last person it's going to be is a religious authority. Right? You would hope, You would right? hope. Like, that's the ideal. Yeah, so, like, it's just, it goes against everything the priesthood stands for, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, obviously, once again, keeping in mind real life that that's not always how it works out. I, I don't want to get into that. I'm just saying that, like, ideally, that's how it would work. And yeah. so, uh, a demon who's intent on taking over the world, right? Which, stupid concept, but whatever. Um, that it makes sense that they would hurt an innocent, a girl who was, you know, wrongfully killed and has a serious grudge against everybody. It makes sense that that would happen. Uh, even a girl that, you know, her, her boyfriend got essentially drugged and raped. Who's angry about that, you know? Okay. I get it. But the, um, the, but not, not a priest who's trying to, expose the corruption of the vatican like yeah you know like it's i don't know it's a complete that should have a superman cape attached to his collar like it's a complete reversion of like Mm -hmm. the good guy priest thing so because you got gabriel right who's a good guy priest and then you got kind of this guy who's kind of a good guy he's got good intentions but his execution is just evil it's his execution is evil as anything paymon did in hereditary uh, just think mm. about it. Okay, so in Hereditary, we get a little girl getting decapitated. We got the mom fucking playing piano wire on her neck, decapitating herself. herself, right? Yeah. We got all this crazy shit happening, and it's because it's an evil, malevolent force. Okay, that makes sense. Hey, not Paymon didn't actually make them do that, though. Like, they did that, a lot of the shit in Hereditary, they did as tribute and sacrifice to Paymon, right. not because he made them do yeah. it. He he. It's, so there's kind of a difference there. The, there. There's a little bit because there was definitely a supernatural aspect. A yeah. woman cannot hold herself in the air and decap. You you can't decapitate yourself. Like, True. go ahead and try. Like you can't. Don't try. I'm kidding. Um, no, with that said, do you want to watch? Uh, <laughs> n- no. Ten thousand likes. Ten thousand. Ten thousand likes. So five thousand. No, I'm kidding. Um, okay. Um, but my point is, is that like, that's what makes it so evil is like, and it's, I don't think it's sure. supposed at the end, you're not supposed to feel like it's evil, but consider yeah. that this girl got punched straight through the wrist, straight through the feet, fucking in one cut into the other cuts, fucking stabbed and killed and fucking, and then thorns and the blood going down her face and she's crying blood and fucking all that shit. That's evil. That's fucking straight the fuck up evil. Like, like, dude, like. Well, and like, then she goes into full possession. Like, she starts throwing the priest around her studio flat. Tries to and kill like, dude, busts yeah. him through a shower door and through the bathtub. And like, yeah, no, absolutely. There, I would say that there's absolutely a point where like, it got excessive. You know, we see like typical sort of possession things too, where she's like levitating above the bed and like the apartment's like shaking and the rain starts raining upwards instead of downwards. Like there was a lot um, that they did where it's kind of hard to tell really, like you say, the, the intent at first of the entity or the, the, the priest uh, Alameda um, after he's kind of taken hold of her or whatever, like, is he a bad guy or a good guy? And they really kind of don't give you any resolution to that by the end of the movie either because it's more like he's just a spirit throwing a temper tantrum like somebody listen to what the fuck i'm trying to say like and that's really kind of how you perceive it like and i do now like older that i've seen it more times it's like he was really just pissed off that nobody was listening to him and that like he had this incredible message and it just sucks that there are innocent bystanders do that you know and there's still some stuff that's not explained like why did she see the woman with the baby what did that have yeah. to do with the spirit you know what i mean well, yeah. I- 
So I was thinking about this because it took me a long time, you know, like where they're sitting there, she's sitting there with her friend Nia Long and they're having coffee at the beginning of the movie and she's like, I'm late. And she's like, we better take our food or we're going to be late. And she's like, we're always late. And it didn't really register to like 13, 14 year old me that she was talking about her period and not about being late to work like that shit didn't really hit me, you know, later. Um, And I totally I had a point to why I was saying that. Uh, Oh, just kind of like the reflection like looking back on it now uh i think uh there's a lot where i can see where there were holes kind of in the story and stuff like that um and and where they were trying to develop this really good idea and they did a really good job um but that was one of the reasons why they had alternate endings is like they didn't know how to end it they didn't know really how to to conclude it all because no matter what they did, it still came out like where Alameda was Alameda was going to be this bad guy, or you know, were they going to to like you said, was it tempting for the priest to give in to temptation? How were they going to portray that? How were they going to portray Frankie? Um, and I think the hallucination with the baby went back to her thinking that she was pregnant and her saying she feels weird, right? And that she, that was actually her feeling Alameda start, start to take over her personality and start to start to take over her body and her experiences. Um, and I think like that could have been portrayed in a different way. Um, I honestly think that the whole pregnancy part of the storyline could have been left out of it, like almost entirely. And it wouldn't have had any effect on the rest of the movie whatsoever. Um, I kind of think it would have made it a better film if they hadn't to try to play that part of the storyline into it because it really didn't have a place. Mm. Um, and it was one of the things I don't like about the movie now, like older and looking back. Uh, were there things that you guys didn't like? I think, like that you thought were plot holes? I think the thing that that's what I like about it the most, honestly. Uh, at first, I was like, this is some crazy shit. I don't know what the hell we're watching. But I think that's what I like so much about it is that in real life, we go through so many situations each kind of day. I mean, it would have been a better film. But I think it would have been less realistic. Like each day you're going through something. Each day you're like, damn, did you see that crazy ass thing that happened today? The next day something else happens and you totally forget what happened the previous day. Or like. So you think like it made Frankie more relatable, like as a character to portray that part of her life? I mean, maybe not relatable to me because I can't get pregnant, but (laughs) like for uh, for someone who can get pregnant and is constantly like late on their period it would be uh, i guess you could hallucinate and manifest of that but then as something else gets tacked on to your life that kind of gets pushed further back and back to where you're like oh yeah i did have hallucinations that i was pregnant and that a woman dropped her baby in the street and that i embarrassed myself in front of hundreds of people out in the middle of pittsburgh um so maybe that's not what they were going for but i feel that's that's just what i got from it is like as you go through experiences, as more gets put on you, you kind of forget about the stuff you thought were uh, issues in your life, and it keeps going and stacking up to being something a little bit bigger. Um, I'm sure that's completely uh, just something I made up, and the filmmakers are going to, yeah, we did that. Yeah, we meant that. We meant that. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, yeah. That's, what, yeah. that's what it was all about. Well, so, like, as it's a person who can't get pregnant, like, even if you can't get pregnant, even as a person who can't get pregnant, like, I can see how, like, you say, showing that she is a person a character who likes to go out and drink and go to the club and sleep with strange guys afterwards and then wonder if she's late and who her friend is like she's regularly late to work and she's obviously this like very bubbly sort of adhd-esque kind of character like it does create some character development and make you have sort of a feeling for frankie as this person that like obviously is not this devout pious catholic um so the hitting of the stigmata you know that was one of the things the priest really was like oh, I should probably just pack up and leave. Like, you're not even Catholic. Like, you don't even go to church. Like, this obviously can't be the stigmata. I think that it does have some bearing to that development of the story. So I guess I can see, like, your perspective there. I think um, I think if they wanted to have the pregnancy thing be a part of the plot, a much better way to do it that would actually, I think, work better with the fact that she was essentially possessed would be for her to have had a vision of being pregnant. Like, so she looks down and her stomach is big right like it's like there's like a baby in there and then she basically wakes up and she's like what the hell's going on and she wakes up and she looks down and it's not anymore 
Um, I think that would have made a lot of sense because the thing is, is like the woman in the streets kind of like Mother Mary iconography, right? And like in the context with the hood and the blue, ah, that's a really good point, right. actually. I hadn't really correlated that. And so it's really weird because like the priest, like that's what I'm saying. Like the end just doesn't jive with the rest of it in a lot of ways because like the priest why was he even giving her stigmata in the first place like yeah. he was trying to get a just to get the attention of the vatican i, like, I guess that's it really but, it so that's the sense. thing is did she did she have any more like hallucinatory visions like mother mary there no like so they um said in the behind the scenes thing that the scene at the very beginning with the bathtub where she's like holding her belly and then the dove is flapping like up above her when she like opens her eyes and there's the bird in the bathroom did you see that scene oh yeah, yeah of course i mean i saw she like touched so her. that's she, supposed like, to be that her believing that's supposed to be like they've explained that as them trying to portray her as feeling like she might be pregnant like when they talked about the behind the scenes, that was kind of their intention with her feeling something different or changed about her. Like in that whole um, sort of iconic Mary motherhood sort of uh, trope. And it's weird because if it seems like they were confused when making the film. And I don't want to say detracts from the film. Everybody listens, go watch Stigmata. It's very well worth watching. Yeah, but it feels like they were confused with what iconography they actually wanted to pull from. Because if she's pregnant, then the iconography would be Mother Mary. And that but then the thing is is I expected like what I thought was gonna happen was that she was gonna give birth and essentially it would be the second coming. Right? Because yeah, obviously I thought it was gonna be yeah, I thought it was gonna be a demon. I thought it was gonna be something right? else. Or something like that. But like um if for her Rosemary's baby and shit. Or she once she got the first stigmata marks on her wrist, I was like, Okay, is she like Jesus? You know, like there's nothing that says that Jesus needs to be a guy when he returns, right? Like it could be a woman. You know something me and Tatiana were talking about earlier? There's nothing that says, to my knowledge at least, I could be wrong here. Hey, I could be wrong. But there's nothing that says that Jesus comes back as a full-grown adult. Jesus might be born and live his life as a, as a, as a plumber or some shit and then figure out he's Jesus. And then it's the second coming and revelations and people are being raptured. I, it's it's all up to interpretation. And so I was like, that's where I thought it was going. And I'll be real with you. While I liked the movie a lot and I thought it was very good and very worth watching, the fact that at the end it was an asshole ghost who was pissed off, who put this girl through all this stuff. <laughs> she didn't have a bigger destiny. She didn't she didn't have a like a significance. Like you think about dogma, where old girl gets pregnant, you know, from um Alan Rickman from, you know, she becomes essentially the carrier of Jesus. She had a destiny and all this stuff, all the traumatic stuff that happened to her in dogma, although it was obviously tempered against comedy because it's a Jane Silent Bob movie and a Kevin Smith movie. It had a purpose. This girl, her suffering was purposeless. It was, it was, it was only there so that a priest could find a manuscript. That's it. And yes, the manuscript is important and it is important in real life outside of this movie. But at the same time, like it was, it was pointless. Like they could have done so much more. They could have made her the second coming. They could have made her pregnant with the second coming. And then the the, the just think alternate stigmata movie. She gets pregnant, but it's not by that guy. It's immaculate conception. That's right? what I was about to say. That's what I was just about to say. Up yeah. next on the Macabre Masters Radio right? Show. Yeah, that's and what I was about gets, to say. Like she magically gets pregnant. She gets immaculate conception happens. She gets pregnant. The church finds out about it. They send an investigator, uh, our boy Gabriel, to determine if that it's going to be the second coming of Christ. Then what happens is he does the same thing where he's like, oh, you're an atheist? There's no way it's the second coming. He dismisses her. All this crazy stuff starts happening because in Jesus's real life, if you read the early years, right, the youth, the youth version um, in the Apocrypha and all that stuff, Jesus, his entire life, he had weird stuff happen around him. Right. And so that stuff starts happening, catches the attention of the Catholic Church and they send somebody back and they try to take him out like Herod tried to take him out because they don't want him to topple the church that exists today and bring about the second coming because they like it too much. Right. And so she has to fight for her baby, who is Jesus. And they and all this crazy shit happens spiritually and it's fucking insane. And she has a destiny. And at the end, Jesus grows up. 
he becomes Jesus, and she becomes the next revered Mother Mary. Thank you. That's a fucking killer. So is this going to be your next comic? Or that's going to be, 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 be on that Show. That's going to be on Grim a... Sounds, the audio. <laughs> I'm just like... I'm just saying, like, yeah, that yeah, would have been a fabulous movie. Like, it, and it would have been cohesive. It would have absolutely not been the same movie. No, not even close. So um, I think it's interesting. The other One of the things that you brought up at the beginning is, like, you thought it was going to be this next stereotypical exorcist movie. And uh, Patricia Arquette and Gabriel Burns both actually... Uh, did an article about it like later years later is like 2010 or so uh, they talked about how they almost didn't do the movie until they got to finally finish reading the script uh because they did not want it to be another exorcist movie they wanted it to be something more different less scary and more kind of profound with some sort of a message i feel like they did do a really good job of doing that even for all the things like that we don't necessarily like um it's got its own sort of a cult classic feel to it where it was different and it did portray catholicism and jesus as a person in a very different way than what we are used to and especially what was really being thought of like in the 90s you know when we had like the extra big mega churches and you know all of the extra stuff that was a, a huge deal on television everywhere at the time um i thought they did a really good job honestly uh what were your guys's favorite scenes in the movie Mine was um. You're gonna think I'm absolutely fucking nuts, but my favorite scene in the entire film was when the priest laid down next to her and went to sleep. I thought it was so sweet so and just so like they were their friends, and she needed somebody, and he was there, and he didn't take advantage of her and her like alt in her vulnerable state. He didn't do anything like that. He laid down next to her and Let me check her. out your hand holes, baby. Yeah, like he he comforted her like a good friend would. And I really sure. fucking appreciated that. I thought it was so sweet and just such a great way to illustrate his character. Although my favorite was in the beginning when he walked by the hookers and he's like, Oh, thank you, but I'm cool. And they're like, they're yeah, like, cool. oh, and he opens up his collar. <laughs> I was yeah, like, yeah, this guy was... is really charming. Like he's he's too charming to be a priest, man. <laughs> I love him. Yeah. I don't know. I like I, that one too. I don't know. I think it's kind of a my favorite scene is probably the last one where he's walking over to her um in the fire. It's kind of like a, a an actual trial by fire as it were. You know, like It was. The, yes. The the demon the demon priest is like uh, you have conflict or whatever. You uh, you you doubt. Yeah, he's like you he's, don't he's have the face. He just he just starts walking forward without question, um, and sends his brother off to go chill out. Finally, be like, hey, go rest. I send you in peace, brother. Um, so he showed that he had faith there at the very end, and I I, I thought that was pretty badass. Um, did you yeah, notice that the fire was illusory? It no, wasn't real. I don't know. It no. like it didn't burn anything. It wasn't burning anything. Oh, I mean, I've noticed. I mean, obviously, I think everything would have been covered like that, but I didn't know if it would have like burned him or not. You know. Well, and it was kind of one of the only places besides the upside down rain where they used any sort of uh, CGI yeah. sort of effect. Too, everything else was pretty practical throughout pretty the movie, weird. like with the flashing lights on the bus. Um, I think my favorite scene, and you're going to think this is funny, um, but it's very happenstance. They didn't script it this way, uh, but the flower market scene. So they actually just stumbled, allegedly, if I remember correctly, uh, again, the behind the scenes, it's been a few years since I watched it, but they stumbled on the flower market, like while they were looking for a place to film and they were like, these colors are perfect. This is exactly what we want to show for this part of the movie where she's actually building the bond um, and, and actually getting to, to create this friendship and getting to know the priest. He's getting to know her and who she really is. And they actually create that friendship while they're sitting there having flowers or having coffee and, and stuff like that. Um, and I thought it was really cool because to me, it's like small miracles, right? Those little happenstances where you're in the right place at the right time. And it was such a beautiful scene, like when she gets the stigmata in her feet and she flies back into the like trays of flowers everywhere and they just capture the colors so perfectly. And it just was really complimentary and it made the scene really pretty honestly it's like you know how we were talking about in Midsommar I really like the flower scene with the guy and he's all strung up too like they managed to make this like horribly horrific uh painful experience and still make it like this beautiful thing 
Um, it's sort of almost like poetry through cinematography the way they did it. And that's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. Plus she's got those badass jelly platforms that I never got to have as a kid. And that like really means a lot to me. All right, well, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. But um, say, just get some now. Just get some now. <laughs> They're so, really um, in fashion right now. Yeah. I don't have the ankles for that these days. I actually, uh, I, I actually uh, want to recant something I said, and then Bethy should probably wrap it up. Um, but I want to recant something I said earlier. I said that I've never seen a miracle and um, I actually have a little story about a miracle from my own personal life. So here's what happens. Your boy Pope, when he was 14, was walking across the street on his way from summer school, his last day of summer school, got hit by, got hit by a van. Happen. Normally it's okay? not. <laughs> uh, flew across the field. It's never, no. ever got me. Huh? Where'd you go? There you are. You're back. Oh, did I? Did it? Did it? We lost. We you. lost you. Okay, we lost me. We okay. lost. Yeah, we lost you. Oh well, I lost me. Um, <laughs> oh. so I got, I got. We found you. Yourself. I. In the moment. In the moment. I better own it. Uh, yeah, I asked. <laughs> so what happens is twenty years later, and I still can't help it. Uh, what happens is, um, I'm walking across the street. I get hit by a van. Okay. Fly across a few lanes of traffic. Traffic is moving. This isn't Ow. This isn't a busy road in North Carolina. Yeah. And um I uh land on my face uh and I'm going very very fast and um the doctors told my parents that I was dead. Like when they they were called to the hospital, they told my parents that I was dead. There's no way anybody survives what I went through. Your face looks really good right now, just so you know, for like Four lanes of road rash. You look hot as fuck. Well, thank you. Uh, I do still have a scar from it. It's right there. Um, I call it my Harry Potter scar. But uh, the thing about it is, is that um, we got a, uh, I shouldn't have survived, really. It was just a matter of inches or centimeters that caused me to survive. I landed just the right way. And so the thing is, is years later, um, I had a really fast recovery. Everything fine. I have scars all over my body from it, but no big deal. And years later, I go to my mom and I'm having a conversation with her in the car when we're driving somewhere. And she says, Devin, do you, are you, do you believe in God? And I said, no, there is no God. And she said, how? And I said, well, I've never seen an evidence that there's a God. And she said, Devin, the fact that you're even walking on this planet today is a miracle. You were supposed to die. The doctors thought you were dead. The doctors took me into a brightly lit room with colors everywhere and said, go in there and say goodbye to your son. He is dead. And then they took a look inside of you and there was no internal damage whatsoever. You didn't even break a bone. She was like, you are a walking miracle. And for you not to believe in God is an insult to God and to everything else because you have personally been a part of a miracle. And I always thought she was crazy for saying that because it's not a miracle. It was just a matter of luck, really. I could just as easily be dead right now. But her perception is that it was a miracle. And so for her, it was a miracle. And for her, every time my mom, despite our differences and despite, you know, the times that we've had problems and stuff, for her, every time my mom looks at me, she sees a miracle, a walking, talking miracle. And... As a mom, I can relate. Right? And, like, to me, there's a beauty in that. You know? I don't necessarily agree with her, but there is a beauty to it. And so, um, and I'm not going to be the person to tell her it wasn't a miracle. Fuck that. You guys can tell her. She watches the podcast. You can tell her. Go ahead. No, right I'm not. Absolutely not. Yeah. No. Absolutely. <laughs> Have fun. Absolutely All right, not, good. Mama Pope. No, no. No. Mama Pope, I'm on your side. Short story, very similar. Um, I was, like, sleeping because this is back when I was doing phone bone all night. And my ex-husband and this chick that was living with us, who also had a three-year-old son, same age as Tiny at the time, uh, were watching the girls in Tiny. And um, the little boy pushed tiny out of a three-story apartment window and you know how like under those apartment windows there's like hey guys what's going on pope here so um at this point in the recording we started having tech issues and we kind of been having tech issues the entire time but they got especially egregious around this time and beth had a lot of dropouts so the story that she was telling was that tiny almost uh fell out of a window and um it almost it almost took him out but it didn't happen 
and to her that's a miracle and i think that's probably pretty hard to debate so we kind of spent the rest of the episode talking about some of that stuff for about 10 more minutes but uh it's just so fractured and just weird because of best dropouts that um i don't think it's really worth worrying about on here and trying to string together so really our conclusion from stigmata in my belief is that um, even though we all have our own beliefs, we should be open-minded to the beliefs of others because there's a lot of stuff that we can't explain. So I hope that gives a little bit of clarity on why I'm cutting in here. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, like I said, we had a few tech issues while we were recording it, but we're trying to get everything figured out. Um, these things happen. And also, I know we're a little bit late on new episodes. Uh, tech has been one part of it. The other part of it has actually been simply that uh, we've just been really busy with other stuff. So the next episode is going to be Pan's Labyrinth, and we're hoping to record it next week. So we'll hope you'll be looking out for that. And other than that, have an amazing day. Thanks.